Thank you for joining us today at the Miniature Wargaming Labs podcast. My name is James, and today I'm joined by... Erin. Who's joining us again to once again remark upon her adventures in 3D printing. Erin, what have you been working on hobby-wise? Well, I am knee-deep into six weeks into my uh, 3D printing class and my other classes at UNM. So I have University been... of New Mexico. Yes, well, University of New Mexico. What, Nebraska? Are there any other end states that could theoretically work with? New York, I guess, but I don't know. Anyway, I don't think any of the other ones end with M. Um, yeah, so I uh, I was busy busy with that, so I had to create a uh, sculpture project using a sculpting software, which I had never used before. We were supposed to use Mudbox, but Mudbox did not want to play nicely with my Mac. I think it doesn't like Big Sur or my graphics card. I don't know. It's not that old of a machine. It should work with everything, but nothing works as well since I downloaded Big Sur. The whole <laughs> thing is slowed to a crawl. I think it's only designed to be used with the computers with that new M1 processing chip. Yeah, that's uh, my, my company actually told me. Do not download Big Sur onto your Macs. You're not the only one. My teacher yeah. said the same thing about his uh, school school Mac that they have him use. So I've been busy with that. So I ended up using Blender instead. And uh, after a week of not removing my butt from my desk chair, I ended up with something I was pretty pleased with. And that's what you were uh, painting on. Cause that's a... Yes, that was the other thing. Uh, so I had the modeling because that this was a multi-part process. We had to have an inspiration So I chose Tim Burton because our kid loves Tim Burton like anything Tim Burton She was thrilled for inspiration. We spent the weekend watching Tim Burton movies So like she was in absolute heaven three days of that holiday weekend so after that I ended up going with a gingerbread house um, <clears throat> With some of his aesthetics and, and things like that and I sculpted it in Blender, which was an experience unto itself, figuring out how to use the tools and everything and kind of get it to what to do what you want it to do. So, because normally you work, when you've made stuff before, you work in Fusion 360, right? Yes. But yes. the teacher wanted you to use Mudbox, and you mm -hmm. can't get that to work, so you ch went to Blender. So why don't you walk us through what's the difference between the 360 on one hand okay. and the uh, Blender Mudbox on the other. I literally saw a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> on that Thursday. <laughs> um, I kind of knew anyway. So, okay. So Fusion 360 is what they call a modeling software. So that is more designed for CAD. So um, drafting, designing functional parts or prototyping objects that you're going to print for manufacturing or some type of useful purpose. That, so it's considered modeling software as opposed to polygon software, which is what um, Blender and Mudbox and ZBrush are. Because the difference between those is, um, one is surface modeling, which is what Fusion 360 is, and the other is polygon modeling. If I got that right, and I'm pretty sure I did, but don't, don't hold me to that. Um, so the difference is the other creates more organic shapes, so you start with primitives, and a primitive is just like a cube, a, a, a ball, that type of thing. And, and all the programs have different primitives you can choose from to start with, because you got to start with something. It's equivalent to your ball of clay, but it's in a predetermined shape. 
And the difference with that is, rather than it being surface modeling where it just creates like surface planes and things like that in its geometry, it uses polygons. And um, it really likes quads and sometimes it makes triangles and it creates these by subdividing them to add more detail and creating more and more little teeny tiny polygons to create and sculpt the material. So um, that's kind of the difference between those and I had never used anything like that before. So that was its own learning curve. Um, but I'm really pleased with how it came out. I was kind of surprised it came out as good as it did. <laughs> I wasn't super optimistic. Um, a lot of hours spent on that though. Now, if I remember right, you were, so you can jump back and forth between the three sort programs. So you can of. put something in something, pull it out, stick it in something else. Sort of. Yes and no. Okay. So I'm trying to explain this to our listeners if they want to no, get into absolutely. this. So it's absolutely. like you can work on something in some parts. Okay. First things first, Fusion 360, if you are not selling anything, you can get as a free download just as for personal use. Blender is also free, which is why I chose it, because I will probably end up in ZBrush eventually because it's more of the industry standard. So if you really want to get into this, you should probably just plug it I think that's what Games Workshop uses. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they have, and the other nice thing about ZBrush is they have multiple licenses. So you can still buy a permanent license, you know, like it's 2002. You don't have to buy a subscription model. They have a subscription model. But you can just buy, like, the program for that machine, which I personally like because, for me, I've done the math, and it's always cheaper for me that way because I just don't replace my machines that frequently. Um, so, and they have different tiers of it. They have a mini core, which is totally free that you can kind of try out, but it's so streamlined, I don't know if you could really... You could try it out enough to see if, like, you even want to bother with it, but... Um, if you really want to get good at it, I would go with Blender and then move to ZBrush. I kind of went off track here a little bit. Sorry. Um, no, that's fine. So, but then they have like a, a core version and then they've got like the full-on version. And at that point, you're kind of just getting to the difference between the number of brushes you get, the technical support, and some of the export file formats. Because just like everything else, you have to have one program file talk to another program file if you want to open it up in there. So... If you want to get into it, go with Blender and um, Fusion 360 because they're both free. You really want to consider the type of project that you're doing before you dive into one or the other. If you are going to be building, say, uh, a coffee shop, you probably want to just go with Fusion 360 because mostly you're going to make a box. You're going to hollow out the box if you want them to walk around inside. You're going to add doors and other really regular shapes. So it's going to be much easier and faster for you to do that. If you want to create a character, a little sculptured figurine, you cannot do that in Fusion 360. You want to use Blender, ZBrush, or whatever, Mudbox, whatever is the one that you are most comfortable with. Now, programs like Blender uh, or Mudbox or ZBrush have limited primitives. So like you can only do certain things. So say you wanted to create a really ornate, you know, sculpted castle, some sort of gothic crazy thing that doesn't have a lot of irregular shapes. Like you want something that has, is very textured. Like you want to have bricks on it or some other type of thing that are not just like a bunch of squares. Not modern bricks, but, you know, hand-sculpted stone bricks. Like something from, I don't know, 
Stonehenge or something like that. Well, Stonehenge, you'd probably still do. Well, like the, the original colonial churches you yeah, see on the East okay. Coast where they use the, the stones from the ship ballast yes. to build the churches. Yes. So what you'd want to do with that, yes, you could do the whole thing in one program or the other, but at some point you've got to add some sort of texture, and you're just not going to do that successfully in Fusion. So you have two choices. You can attempt to do that in um, your sculpting software, Blender, ZBrush, Mudbox, or you can go to something like Maya, which is very not free, or Fusion 360, and you can design the basic shape of it. So, you know, you'd put in the building, you'd put in the doors, you'd put in the windows, and all that type of basic architectural detail. Then you can export it as an STL, an OBJ, or um, an FBX file, depending on the software you're using. FBX is a, I think I got the abbreviation for that right, um, it's an Autodesk product, but Blender does have export for that, and ZBrush does too, if you pay enough for that version. So it kind of depends what you want to do. But basically, you could just export it as a Z, as a STL file and pull it into Blender. Um, Mudbox doesn't play as nicely with STLs. I'm not sure about ZBrush because I really haven't spent any time in there. But the problem you have when you transfer one to the other is you end up with it redetermining the surface structure of it with its polygons because one program just makes nice little flat smooth things and the other one creates all kinds of little polygon facets, if you will, that are all connected together for this. I had pretty good luck doing that with um, Blender. I didn't really have any issues. Like you pull it in and it still kind of feels like you're just playing with clay. Um, I did not have that experience in Mudbox. I did not, and you really can't go the other way. Like you can, but you're going to spend a lot of time. It's not going to be fun because if you go from something that's really flat with surface modeling like Fusion, it doesn't already have a bunch of little individual polygons broken down. It's really basic. It's almost like bringing in a primitive. It's just really basic. So then you can add details and increase the polygon count, which increases the amount of surfaces that you have to work with to sculpt it in. So that's how I would suggest doing that. But if you take something that has lots and lots and lots of polygons and is very, very detailed and pull it into Fusion, Fusion kind of has a hissy fit and goes, hey, look, here are all these surfaces I can't do anything with. Now you can go in there and manually retexture that. But personally, I don't have that level of patience. Well, that and I think that's what I've heard most people do is you go into something like 360. Yes. You create your basic structure. Yes. And then you can pull it into the more artistic sculpting Sculpture. engine and bedazzle it. So. Yes. Yes. You get out your bedazzler, all those rhinestones. <laughs> well, that, that when I watched shoes, when I watched and... you use those, it's actually like the artistic ones. It's actually like your the program tries to like mimic a hand with a sculpting tool. And you striking the object. So you yes. start with like a globe of mud in mud box. And then you take your tool. We got, you got like the little pad and the pen so you can interact with it. I, I did get a present. Yes. yes. And so <laughs> you could like rotate the screen and then take the tool represented in your electronic pen and like hit the mud ball and do stuff to like sculpt it. Yes. I did get a, um, screen graphics tablet not the computer version which runs its own software and you don't need to have connected to a computer but the one that's a, a display that you can draw on as opposed to 
a one that's a tablet that you look at the computer screen and you just draw on the tablet. I have one of those too, but that was from a while ago. And uh, for me, with the number of hours I was going to be looking at that, it was much cheaper than chiropractic bills. So that was kind of the motivating factor. If you figured out the co-pays for all of that, this this was a better situation for me. And chiropractic um, is a scam. They don't. They're not there to make you better. That's not true. <laughs> and we go. Just, so just, what I do feel a little bit better. That's a joke on The Simpsons. If okay. you ever go to like chiropractor, they they always re- reference one Simpsons episode. So. Well, that's your own <laughs> fault for binge watching it with our kids. So anyway, so um, yeah, so I was able to do that. But um, even either way, if you wanted, if you want to use the sculpture stuff, get the graphics tablet. You don't need it. A mouse is perfectly sufficient if you just want to use Fusion three hundred and sixty and make like a bunch of brick walls. Up to this point, all the stuff I've made and put up on 3DP Design Lab on Thingiverse has been made in Fusion. I have not put up anything I've made in a sculpture software since that was like a whole new experience that I just had. Um, so yeah, so you have to kind of get a sense of that. And this is all stuff I just learned over the last two weeks when we when I had to figure out this project. And then there's, so what happens is when you actually go to export it, and this was f- a fun thing for last weekend, uh, a bunch of stuff disappeared when I tried to recombine it. Like, pieces of my structure just, poof, were no longer there. Because, and I found this out from my teacher, if you combine multiple objects, when you use the sculpture software, you have the option of bringing in multiple primitives. So, like, you could bring in, in Blender, the Icospheres, it's a ball, okay? It's, it's a really faceted ball, so it's not smooth-looking. But you do that because you start out with fewer polygons and then you add them as needed as opposed to starting out with something that has so many, it increases the surface area, it increases the file size, and just a lot of stuff. So, uh, and there's a lot of good videos online about how to use Blender, so just make sure you're looking at the ones with the latest dates. Like, try not to watch one from 2014, try to get the closest Blender version that they currently offer because otherwise it's a little bit different. But um, that's, that's, so that's kind of what it is. So you can have multiple icospheres or balls or cubes or whatever it is. And the thing I like about that is they all are independent objects and they're all basically like their own layer if you were to use Photoshop or Illustrator. So if you play with one, it doesn't affect the other ones, which is really nice. And that's how I, I sculpted the tree that I sculpted and the little gingerbread house and all this kind of thing. And uh, the nice thing about that was I didn't have to worry about accidentally running over and like moving something else that I really, really liked because it was a different root or a different part of the tree. The thing about that is when I was done, I joined them all together. And when I did that, I apparently, my teacher told me, had polygons going through other polygons. And when that happens, the computer gets kind of upset and it says, oh, this isn't here anymore because we don't know what to do with it. So I went into Mesh Mixer and eventually I was able to figure that out and I, I uh, exported it as individual objects instead of joining it together and then it finally read and it was fine and it was still printed as one piece. So I was a happy camper. Um, but that was two days of my life I will never get back. <laughs> so let's, so most people, like you can go to Fusion 360 if you want to create yes. like Wargaming Terrain and yes. you make like your buildings mm-hmm. or wherever it is and then... I think the most common thing, now that we've seen a lot of these programs, we've gone to other people on like Etsy or whatever and recognized like, well, they made this in 360, they pulled it out, 
stuck it into one of the sculptural Mm -hmm. programs and stamped bricks into it or whatever textures they want into it. Now, the next step would be to make the organic shapes. Let's say you want to make like, because what you did was take like a little gingerbread house, a little Hansel and Gretel, Mm -hmm. and then you sculpted a tree and you stuck the house into the tree. Yes. So that's where you're starting taking multiple objects and merging them together into yes. one super object, which I could imagine if you're a war gamer, you want to do something like Black Sun. So you want, well, you want to go to like Thailand, some of these giant temples that they've built, but there's jungle trees that have grown in and through all the structures out there. So you could actually go into Fusion 360, mm-hmm. build your ziggurat temple, yes. pull that into um, mud box or ZBrush, and take trees you've sculpted and start sticking it into the ziggurat. Actually, there's a be- there's actually a better way to do that. You'd want to make your ziggurat in 360 because that's sculptural, or I'm sorry, uh, modeling software. It's going to have all your basic stuff. Then you're going to go into Blender or ZBrush and you're going to sculpt your tree. Then you're going to go into a whole other program I learned about called Mesh Mixer, which I keep calling so that's, that's what over that's what overcame the polygon mixing issue. No, is mi- it was exporting them as separate objects because it, oh, it was okay. not joining the objects. Because when I made the tree, I had one icosphere that was the major trunk of the tree, mm-hmm. just going straight up. Then I had a bunch of, I, had, I think I had six roots going around the outside of the tree, and a couple of them I had coming over and in front of the gingerbread house. So each of those roots is actually a separate icosphere. It's a separate ball that I independently sculpted. So the problem I had was once I finished the tree and I, I joined all those pieces together, forget the house, made that in a separate file, joined all those together, bad things happened and like some of the roots just poof, they were gone. So I exported the STL as its own file Okay, and I hope I haven't lost my audience here. I might have. <laughs> I realize that. I'm sorry if I did. Um, and I didn't join it. I didn't, like, select all and make it one object, join. I just kept them as individual obje- objects and exported it as an STL. It still came in as one big file, but it didn't try to merge the vertices together inside the program so that it was okay. Then I had to get the, the gingerbread house and the tree and merge them together because I had this interesting little curly cue for the roof. And I wanted to embed that partly in the tree because I knew then I could print that part without supports. I ended up with supports anyway because I made all these points at the top of the tree and I ended up cutting off the top of the tree and printing that separately with supports so I didn't encase my entire project in supports because I didn't want to do that. I had too much detail on the front of the house and I think it would have ruined it. Well, I think we've seen some of the companies out there, was it like, uh, we won't say which ones, but where they'll print off vehicles for you, but they're not cutting it out of the support cages and there's just like these lattice structures surrounding yeah, there's really no reason to do that you should just make the wheels and things as separate objects and the other part will print practically by itself yeah and then you just glue the wheels on <laughs> it's not that hard anywho you can tell those are not people that are they're they're good with designing they are not good with how to utilize the software and visualizing things in multiple pieces well, so when we first talked about adventures in 3D printing, we were focusing mostly on the printing side of it. Yes. And mostly the PLA because you just got a um, resin printer. And we'll talk about the resin printer uh, at some other episode. <laughs> but so we've worked largely with PLA and the things with us come with manufacturing an object. Yes. Out there. Um, 
This is how to design an object. Yeah, so you've yeah. gone the next step. Let's say you've already printed all the files that you want. No one's making anything you want. So you're looking at, okay, how do I sculpt my own object? Right. And there's architectural, and there's organic or say, shapes. Okay, or say, hey, you know, I want, I want this ziggurat, and I found it on Thingiverse for free, but I want a tree in it. So I'm going to go into Blender or ZBrush. I'm going to sculpt myself a tree. Now I want to put one inside the other. Now you're not really going to do any major sculpting in uh, Mesh Mixer, but what you can do is you can bring in the STL of the ziggurat, you can repair it if it's got if it has errors, then you can bring in the tree that you made and smash them together, and you can change the scale and size of all of that. You can combine them as one object, or you can just export them as an STL that will print. You can also slice off pieces if you need to um, cut it so that you can print multiple pieces. Like that's what I did with mine. I cut off the top of the tree, the chimney stack, and the two branches on the tree and printed those separately because otherwise the support issue that I mentioned before. So it allows you to do all of that. And there's lots of great tutorials on that um, and how to do that and how to make pins. I tried to make pins, but I did not properly allow for the tolerance that I'm used to. I, the tolerance I use when I make pins in Fusion is different than the spacing. By tolerance, I mean the gap the size difference between the pin and the hole. That's what I mean by mm -hmm. tolerance. Like, to, so one will actually fit on the other because when it prints, I mean, it's only gonna print so close to the accurate actual size that you want it to be. You can't print it to exactly fit. It does, there's no, there's friction. There's just no way. I mean, and if you have one little tiny error in your print, it isn't fitting. Well, mine didn't fit. <laughs> I ended up cutting them off and sanding them down and I had a whole situation with that, which I would go back and bother fixing if I were to put this on Thingiverse as, or, or do it again. Uh, but since this was a one-time assignment, it's not worth the effort involved. Um, well, let me ask. So Fusion 360 has a free version, and there's free versions of, like, the sculpting tools to make organic objects. Blender, yeah. Yeah, Blender. Is Mesh Mixer free? Yes, it is. Okay. It is also an Autodesk tool, and it's free. But it's not on Autodesk's website, which I checked on because I'm like, am I downloading malware? I want to make sure this isn't, like, some fake thing. But no, it's not. That's also free. And you can do all kinds of uh, great things in that, like if the bottom of it isn't flat, like, okay, I made a tree, that's great. Anything you do in sculpting software, unless you start with a cube and you freeze the bottom of it, it's never going to be flat again, which means you are not getting that to accurately print smoothly on, a, on, on an FDM printer fit. It's just never gonna happen because it doesn't have enough contact surface to like stick to the plate. Mm -hmm. So. This has, you can slice the bottom layer off in your slicing software usually, but this allows you to do it at an angle. It allows you to rotate the model. It allow, it doesn't immediately just stick it flat to the bed. So you can really jockey it and play it around with it, which is what I ended up doing when I did mine. I sliced that sucker flat. I combined the two objects and then sliced them flat. And again, there's tons of tutorials, but that is also free. So that would be how you do that. So you have to get, if you want to get that adventurous, and you by no means need to, if all you want to do is pull something off Thingiverse or my miniature factory, I think it is, or one of those places, you can do that, pull it into Mesh Mixer and fix any holes and then just print it. Like it doesn't have to get more complicated than that. You can keep it that basic. Um, or you can even just take two things off of Thingiverse and smash them together in Mesh Mixer. You know, and you can make one really, really big and one really small. And it's better to do it that way and export it as an STL, especially if you're going to do large size adjustments, 
than it is to resize it on your on your slicing software. Well, I was I was thinking because normally the way 3D printing in like the miniature wargaming world has been approached, there's a person out there who wants stuff that you can't buy on the market or you mm -hmm. can't buy cheaply. So you go get a 3D printer and you go make it yourself. Of course, my mini factory um, Thingiverse. Thingiverse is like the big one because yeah, it's sure. all free out there. And, and that's where you got the original layout for the brownstones yes. that you you mer merged together and made playable in 28 millimeter. So, but you can still get involved in this because what I've started to know notice is that almost every game store out there has that guy that ha is like really big into 3D printing and he wants everyone in the store to know it. Um, so you don't actually have to have the machines or get into the hassle of printing yourself if you don't want to. You could actually just become the sculptor, the designer, mm -hmm. and then make an object. So that, that's the part we're talking here. Could I make objects I want and then just, yes, there's maker spaces, but what I found is that the cost of some of these maker spaces. Well yeah, I'm, I might as well go to Games Workshop. I'll save money in the long run. So I it's mean, better to find. 3D printer. Yeah. Well, if, if you have a friend, and I'll, it's getting to the point where almost every mini war gamer um, a that's guy. a decent human, <laughs> is a decent human being, not a jerk, and has a friend at a store yeah. that will print an object for him. So, Give me 10 bucks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and there's that, so for anyone out there, there's actually, uh, at Etten, there's that guy, he went on Facebook and said, you know, I'm buying... Um, all these 3D printers, and to justify and to defray the cost with my wife, I'm going to offer it as a pay-to-play service out there. Anyone at the store, a couple bucks. Because from his point of view, he's just trying to get the cost down to where his own personal um, narcotics habit um, is paid for by... By narcotics, yeah. you mean gaming habit. Yes. Not actual narcotics. His addiction. You start his gaming addiction. You start. Let's call it what it is. You start off a user and you start dealing to feed the habit. Yes, but in this case, we aren't talking actual narcotics, and the poor guy does not it's, need to knock at his door. It's a, it is New Mexico. That's why I'm saying you don't want to say the wrong thing and give the wrong Every, impression here. I, I think everyone's seen Breaking Bad. It's the other reason you don't want to. Gaming addiction. Yes. So he's trying to fund his gaming habit. Yeah. Okay. So the idea here is. There's free software tools out there that mm -hmm. you can take, and it doesn't have to be that complex. You can no. go to Thingiverse, grab some files, and very easily do something to them. Yeah, well, you can make just something. get you can just get two files off of Thingiverse and resize them. Like if you really wanted, you know, that giant uh, uh, Maneki Neko, you know, that's like taking over a building. I mean, you could just resize the Maneki Neko and get a building and shrink it down and stick one on the other, and it looks like it's climbing up the side, and as long as you're following all the Creative Commons license, you can then 3D print that. Or you can find your, you know, uh, 3D printing buddy at your local game store and see and have him do it for you for, you know, however much he's willing to charge. And you might even be able to defray the cost if you offer to provide your own filament. So if this is something you really want to get into, you could always talk to them and say, hey, what kind of filament do you use in your machine? Because not all filaments are created equally, and they may be particular about dealing with a brand that they're uncomfortable with. 
Yeah. I've, I've heard, well, I've listened to one of uh, the Game 4 podcast, and one of the guys on there is, mm-hmm. um, he likes 3D printing, has more 3D printers than any single person should have. But he was talking so about he has that. A YouTube channel. Well, he most of those guys have about fifteen of them, and that's separate from the ones people then send them to try out and review. But he actually brought up where he bought um, some stuff, some uh, PLA from a local small mom and pop. Mm-hmm. So he bought some spools, and he said he killed three nozzles because. What like, did he buy? I I don't know, but he he made a comment that some. Not all spools and PLA is ideally suited for every machine. And if you've done... PLA like, should run through just about anything. Sh- sure, sure. But, I mean, <laughs> there's still... When a machine is designed, the designer is actually thinking of, well, we're going to use this spool of PLA. So okay. if that spool, that you know, long, thin plastic, does not meet the specs of what the designer, you're always going to be playing... Mm-hmm. Um, with issues there. There's going to be some finesse that's required right. to run that through. Let me say this. You can get a roll of PLA, a decent PLA, and again, check with your person who's printing it on what they were are willing to put through their machine, uh, for about 30 bucks, And that's that's for a kilogram of it. So that's like not and you the buy, size, that's the big And you size. buy from uh, the Prusa guy. I do. The Czech but, Republic. Um, I mean, you can get some off of, good stuff off of Amazon or Creality or wherever. I mean, there's lots of places. You're not getting it in a store. You're going to have to order it online. But you might even want to say, hey, look, I'll buy. Now, the other reason you need to check with them is um, there are two different filament sizes. There's 1.75 and 2 point something. I don't remember the decimal because I don't use that one. So you have to make sure you buy the right size filament too, the right diameter mm-hmm. filament. But, you know, you might say, hey, look. I'm going to buy, tell me what you want, I will buy it and give it to you, and then write my name on that bag, and then every time I want you to print something, just do that, and then I'll give you five bucks per print, or whatever it is, like the hourly rate, so to speak, for your time. But, you know, it might be like a dollar an hour, which is ten bucks if it's a ten dollar thing and you've already paid for the supplies, because then they're not out that. And do know, though, if you do that, there are fails, sometimes it's not going to stick, so you may not get every inch of that of that filament to get a solid print. But, um, but that might be a way that you could, you could kind of work with that. But yeah, so um, it, it took me uh, a solid week to get that project done, but I finally did. And, and we had some fun experiences with uh, trying out some fill, fill in primer. Well, yeah, we used, so normally when you've printed off 3d objects for me, I'm, I'm just using it for terrain. Yeah. So, I am not as concerned about how it looks at the end because the terrain should not detract from the models. Sure. The models should be the... Uh, centerpiece. The, yeah, they're, they're the centerpiece. That's what you're looking at. So I would normally... But I'm not going to burn good primer. Like the way I do most of my models out there, like using either Army Painter or the Games Workshop Citadel primers, um, which I like the heads because the atomizer um, and you're working on small detail. So what I normally use on the 3D printed terrain that we've got off Thingiverse that you've printed for me is Krylon. Just because you can get it at Target mm-hmm. or you get it at Lowe's and it's like five bucks a can and I spray it. So I'm not too concerned about seeing the striations. The on, layer lines. Yeah, the layer lines on there. Um, but your teacher recommended a different primer and this is something i've heard about but never tried until you wanted to uh, do this yeah. tree here and which is the only part of the project i touched 
Um, well, I mean, I still did. You you didn't do it on my final project. You only did that on the benchies that I yeah. said, here, test, test this out, out for me yeah. and see what it does. I wasn't going to use that on the one I had so, to Yeah, so we, we tried different primers. So that's for anyone's listening. So we've printed off the object, and now we're ready to turn the object into something that you paint. So right. we tried... Um, I took Macrage Blue, so just a straight Citadel primer, and hit that with there, and that covered the PLA that we got from Prusa well. Yes. And um, then I tried um, double layering. That's normally what I do. I'll, I'll spray Krylon down on it, and that'll be the base layer, and then I'll spray like something else on top. Because I'm more comfortable. I I've just feel, feel personally that the acrylic paints from Army Painter and Games Workshop like to be put over their own primer coat. The, for some for some reason, sometimes a cryon creates patchiness. Like, for those who can't see it, let me point at this object. Like uh, this yeah, giant this sphere. Yeah, the, the Fortress Dropship, um, which is a resin yeah. out there. Um, you know, I put like five layers of primer on that, and there's certain resins, even if you clean them before, mm-hmm. you still want that... I want my good primer on the outside. So we tried that. So two coats of primer on it, one the Krylon, one uh, the Games Workshop. And then we tried Rust-Oleum Gap Filler. No, that was actually the Krylon Fill and Prime. I thought you got Rust-Oleum. I don't think so. The, the gray can that... I'm pretty sure he only recommended all Krylon. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So that was, that was the gap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just saw gap fillers. Yeah. You said this can. So spray this it's can. A filler and primer. And that, that my teacher recommended that and we tried that too. Now we did not do this on the project that I had to turn in. I had I had in my previous assignment we had to create our own benchy. So I sculpted And a benchy is, is a benchmark. Yeah, it's, it's a, a benchmark, benchmark test object. that tests the um, it tests the capacities of your 3D printer. Now, mine did not meet all the standards. Like, I looked up on Instructables what all the different requirements are. Yeah, that wasn't part of our assignment, so I didn't do that. And we had to use Sculpture Software. So that was the very first thing that I did in Sculpture Software. So I made, like, a little pair with one eye, a cycloptic pair with a little, like, stem coming out of the top. And it had to have an overhang. And I put my name in the bottom to test all of that. And so I printed three of those at different layer heights just to see how they'd print out. And so those are the ones that James was test printing, that you were test printing, uh, spray painting. Test primering. So, right, yeah. test primering, yeah. sorry. Uh, to see what it would do before I committed to what I wanted to do. Now, I didn't end up using any of those because I had little tiny stained glass windows on the front of the building of the gingerbread house that I made, and they were so shallow they barely printed it all, and I was worried if any I used any type of filler, it would just wash them out completely. Um, and some of that was just the size of the building, because in order to make the scale for what I wanted, the tree ended up being like twice as tall as the house, but to make that work and still print and be reasonable and not take 24 hours to print at 0.15 detail, I had to scale the house to the tree, which made it... Oh, I would say maybe 40 millimeters high. So four centimeters, not maybe two to three inches. So that, so by the time you have windows that are that tiny, I mean, you know, I think that's under 28 millimeter. Yeah. That's well, probably I, closer to 15. You know, that's, that's why I don't, so like when I use Krylon, just mm-hmm. a regular primer, 
I'll use that on metal because I like how um, the regular everyday primer sticks to metal. It seems like it holds better than like the Games Workshop or mm -hmm. the Army Painter ones. Um, but you have to be careful because it will flood out the detail on You know it. my opinion on metal models. We don't yeah. need to go there. <laughs> it's... So... <laughs> It requires a certain, to do something that small, so what you're talking about, especially if you're using gap filler. So what I found, yeah. gap filler primer is kind of like, gap filler primer to regular primer is what contrast paint is to regular paint. Of okay. where, well, it has a certain viscosity and capillary action to where it hugs inside the layer lines. Mm -hmm. So it'll go, I don't know how it's doing it, I don't know the chemistry around it, but when you spray it, and when we sprayed the Benchies and tested them out um the gap filler took that pear shape which you could run your finger along and you could feel each layer with your thumb before you did anything yeah. yes and um even with the two coats of regular one coat two coat and then the gap filler mm -hmm. the gap filler made it feel much more smooth under a touch mm -hmm. than two coats of primer so yes. you can tell the pri primer fills in the detail the gap filler is able to sink into um deeper the crevices yeah right into the crevices yeah now i will say when you, you turn that pair upside down um the gravity can't overcome everything so if you want like the the ridges on the underside of the pair so like i held that the pair upright problem that was the way that printed out at 0.1 and 0.15 layer height it was fine for 0.2 so that's where that was. That but was I think the I, 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 think I could have reduced that with the gap filler if I turned it up. Gap filler if I turned I it upside down. No, I mean I just sprayed it like I did every oh, other okay. model. That's fine. I think if I turned it upside down and sprayed it, I could have gotten that a little bit smoother okay. there. But yeah, it does smooth out the model, yeah. which is better than taking like some chemical and trying to smooth it down. Well, that's a that is a project I was looking at today when I was supposed to be accomplishing something. But that's that's a project for that's a discussion. Something for you're looking time. into. <laughs> that's a yeah. Well, that's that's on the heels of the disaster that I have had with the resin printer, which I am not loving. Well, you know, I'm I'm liking that gap filler because my plan for like the brownstones. That's like, right. You haven't painted that yet. Yeah. Um, that shouldn't wash out the detail because I yeah. had the eyeball sculpted in and everything on the pair. And I had an open mouth and the tongue and all that. And you could still see all of that, eyelashes. And, and if James wants to, he might put the three, um, with the gap filler, the three pictures of the three pairs, mm -hmm. the original up there. So you could kind of see I, the difference. I don't know if you would notice, because it's something that even... Yeah, even, you can see it. You can see it? If okay. I take a close enough picture with enough quality, you can see yeah, it. Yeah, okay. I'll take care of it. It's <laughs> fine. Get out the light box and the uh, That's digital what this SLR. In this room is for. See, I just have to fold it this way and stick it right on top. Yes, but uh, but yeah, I, I like the gap filler. Um, it takes. I'm seeing that with terrain, so because uh, these are done on draft quality, because you wanted yes. the print done quickly. Um, These so are the you can, buildings yeah. So the so any building out there that you've printed off me, ask for yeah. draft quality just so it's done because you don't want to spend fifteen hours, hours plus. One well, some of the bigger building. buildings are like twenty four hours, and we're not going to run no. the machine all day. <laughs> and then, um, so you get the bigger yeah. lines in there. And imagine if you're going out, if you're out there and you design a building, mm -hmm. and you send it out somewhere for printing. They normally either, what I've seen like locally, like some of the hobbyists who try to sell their home-based 3D printing services, mm -hmm. it's either 
Um, they charge you by the height or the amount of time it takes or sure. the PLA. So the more detail you ask of in the printing, the more money it's going yes. to cost. Well, a can of gap filler primer <laughs> means that, hey, run this at um, draft quality, so your lower quality, and you know what, the primer will take care of it and the paint job will make it look like it's a higher quality. Because we've seen some of the draft qualities will take, what, 25 to 40% of the time off? Well, it cuts it about half. Okay. Um, but here's something else. If you are somebody that wants to buy 3D prints, they have a ton of that stuff on Etsy. Yes. And when I have looked at it, I am appalled by the print quality of most of them. Not all of them. Even my draft, the draft quality prints I have are still better than what I have seen for sale. But if you're going to do that and you're going to buy that because it's still exponentially cheaper, cheaper yeah. you don't have to find a guy. You know, it's like, it's this much. I send them the money. They send it to my door. The gap filler is probably, unless it's a highly detailed model, in which case I don't know if you want to buy that on draft quality in the first place, that might be a really good solution to the unevenness of oh, all of that. shipping containers. We've seen that. Yeah, shipping... the shipping containers are the worst offenders. I'm sitting there going, are you kidding because me? Because no one cares about shipping uh, containers anyway, well, so I can put it on true. crap quality. It's like, well, you know what? Gap filler will hide right. a lot of sins. It will, it will, because like it's black and it just has light reflection on it. I'm like, wow, that has a lot of layers. If your camera is that far, far away, away and I can still see the lines yes. in your 3D print, like, did you yes. just cut out sheets of paper and stack? And, and the thing I noticed is, with the exception of a couple of people who will offer it on a finer quality detail, a lot of them look this way. So it's not like, oh, it's just this guy or these oh, guys yeah. and I'm bashing them. It's like, tr in general, when I've seen those, and a lot of them, they're for... Like, you can buy them from um, Corvus Belli, Corvus Terrain. I don't remember the right name. But, but they're, they have contracts with the companies to print their terrain and sell it. Mm -hmm. So you've got a high-quality file there. It's not in the design. Yeah, what it's you see on print. Corvus Terrain's yeah. website and what their people right, are doing on right. Etsy. So you can get closer if you use the gap filler, especially on terrain. So that might be a, a – and it's like five bucks a can. It's not expensive yeah. at all. So, and even though, and with terrain, you know, you got a lot of surface area to cover, so you might go through a, depending on how much you're doing, you might go through a can or two, yeah. but you're not out a ton of money. Terrain to, yeah, it's not like buying my $22 can no. of Chaos Black <laughs> will make the building better. Buying a $5 can of yeah. Gap Filler will make the building better. Building better, and then you can also get your Army Painter if you want, or even just another coat of cheaper Krylon to go over top of that. To smooth it out and make it the color you want after the gap filler, because your gap filler choice colors might not be what you want as a base. I just to always paint. go with gray and figure all well, okay. I'll can over it. But to... depends what's in your store that day when you go yeah. to buy it. Um, and if you don't want to wait, you're gonna get black or whatever color they have on the shelf. <laughs> okay, that's in stock. My point is, you can always do that and then base coat it after that for the color you want to print on it, and you make it even a little smoother because you don't want to do the gap filler twice. Because that's going to probably be a little overfilled. Depending on how rough. <laughs> well, but at that point, you're really looking at possibly washing out, like, the window pane details and some of the other stuff in there. Because, I mean, there's there's still a limit. So, okay. So, we did that. And then after I finished that, I actually had to paint it. And I, I, asked, I asked you for some advice on how to do this. Because, like, 
I haven't painted a miniature since the last Golden Demon contest I entered that I knew when? sucked when I finished it. So when did we the last one? Wasn't your brother fourteen and he's almost thirty? So right there, it's been about a decade. I checked and my a half. badges. I found them recently. <laughs> the O nine. I know we went to the O nine one. Okay, that's pretty close because it's twenty twenty one. So that's yeah. twelve years. <laughs> um. Needless to say, that was mostly for the experience of something to do, not because I actually have any skill in painting. Those Inner, are different things. Inner Harbor of Baltimore. Yes. Lovely place. Yes, yes. And, uh, Two blocks north of the Inner Harbor of Baltimore back then, not so much. Well. It's a different place now. I haven't been there since then, I don't think. No, when, when, we, took, when we took Ella to the aquarium when she was seven, six, six. So, you know. Seven years ago. Well, you know, that, that was ago. the great thing about having the uh, Games Workshop conventions at the Inner Harbor of Baltimore. The across the street. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you could walk by all this stuff and say, you know what? What nice things I'm not going to go to because I'm going to be in that, that building, building. Yeah. all Which day. Yeah, it's a very, really boring convention center. Probably the cheapest thing to do. The aquarium's obscenely priced like 50 bucks a ticket. I'm like, what is this, Disneyland? There aren't even any rides. All right. So you were you had to paint yes. the object up. So I had to paint the object up. You primed so it. So I and... yes, I got it primed, and I did I did like a base coat, and then two other coats after that, just to. Well, you finished really off with Zandri dust because we I figured did. that was the closest to the body of the tree, and that yeah, would save yeah, some time. Yeah, yeah. brown because it's a tree, and a gingerbread house is also brown, so it really worked. That everything was kind of monochromatic on that. Um, so I got that done. And then I asked you for some advice. and like, okay, what paints can I use? I, I want these colors. What have you got? So uh, and I went through a few of those because some of them were too runny and some of them were too thick. Well, so was... it was a mix of Games Workshop, which you found yeah. was too thick. And I some like of the Vallejo. Ar- <laughs> and some of the Army Painters, which you thought was too thin. Yeah. And I have a few Vallejos um, out there. And so it was like... Uh, the poor Goldilocks and the I, porridge I was say there. That. Yeah. I was having a Goldilocks this this paint is too thick. thick. This well, paint you know, is too thin. that's um, yes, every, different paints have different techniques for applying on there. I have one technique. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's great, but I'm not gonna go spend two years learning how to do this for one project for one a school assignment. So I asked you for some advice about that, and you you gave me some tips and said, okay, try layering it like this. And I'm like, okay, and I'm like. I think I remember how to dry brush. It's been a while, but you don't want to be too heavy-handed with that or the whole thing looks painted instead of dry brush. So one thing I did, because I was sitting there just kind of playing with it going, now what should I add? Hmm, I want this. I want that. So I didn't really follow exactly what you said, but you gave me a jumping off point, Mm -hmm. which I really, really needed, because this intimidated the heck out of me having not touched a paintbrush for over a decade for anything significant. Because you pretty much just put the models together. and super tiny. Too. Yeah. That was the other thing. I'm like, thank God I've got some new teeny tiny brushes in here. So, um, in my in my paint box that I hadn't used for anything. So, uh, so yeah. So one thing though, you you said you liked how one of the things I did came out when I was just kind of playing around. Yes. So out there, there's a company called Turbo Dark, and they used to call it um, color shifting paints until that word was taken away. But they add um, <laughs> metallic. Yeah, someone patented the, I'm sorry, um, trademarked the word color shift. So Turbo Dark had to take that off all their paint lines. And like all YouTube videos talking about color shift had to be removed. Had to be in the purge exterminatus there. But um, so you look at Turbo Dork and it's like these metal 
flakes. So if you want purple or pink, they have a whole range of colors that create like this metallic look to it. And I always wondered like, well, what if I just mixed like metallic silver in with the paint and, uh, but I never got around to doing it. I left you alone with a bottle of Vallejo <laughs> silver and the various colors and you just started mixing silver into like every color out there and putting it on. <laughs> I kind of did. The whole thing ended up coated in silver. You know, um, I, I like, I like the look of it. Well, okay. There were reasons for that though, because the gingerbread house on the tree I wanted muted and then I have candy because it's a gingerbread house, but I didn't actually put any real candy on the house because that would have been like a millimeter or two for each piece of candy and painting that you couldn't paint any detail. So I made the candy separately and that's also something I made in Fusion 360 and then pulled into Blender and then I sculpted the details of the ginger because I made gingerbread men and I made a sign. So like all the raised details of the frosting and all of that I did and I made gumdrops and things like that. Well, I wanted that to really stand out and look like candy as opposed to just being like this muted back. I wanted the house and the trees muted backdrop and then I wanted the candy to really like scream at you because it'd be the thing that would draw children into the gingerbread house. They don't care about the house and the tree. They care about, oh my God, there's a world of candy around me that I want to eat. So I really wanted that to pop. And the problem I was having is, is like with a lot of the really bright primary colors, there aren't that many shades of it. It's like, here's the turquoise and here's a lighter turquoise and here's the pink, which is called warlock purple for reasons I don't understand, but that's neither here nor there. And then there's the dark purple that actually looks like purple. But you don't have like 10 shades of that. So I'm like, well, how can I do this to make it stand out and really make it like shiny? Because candy's always kind of like shiny because it has a sheen on it and, and it's re highly reflective. And I didn't really know how to do that with the paint. So I got the silver actually to just dry brush on the smokestack and kind of give it some highlights. And I said, okay, well, I painted the gumdrops and they were just so flat. You know, it was like one color. And I tried painting over that and dry brushing it with a light blue, but it just wasn't doing it for me. So I was like, I need to make it lighter. So I tried adding white. I'm like, okay. And then I said, well, what if I use the silver? Well, I did that and the gumdrop just like popped and came together. So then I kind of mixed it into yeah. every single thing. That was that a turquoise candy. blue. Yeah. That yeah. you then mixed that blue with the silver. And I, right. So and it didn't really change the color. That was what I really thought was interesting about yes. it. Yes. It had less of an effect on the, on the color than the white did. Um, even if you put a heavy amount in there. By the way, if I owe you some more um, silver paint, you just let me know. I, I can make that happen for you. Yeah, that bottle's... Was, that wasn't so full when I gave it to you. <laughs> well, it's half full if it was. I, I rarely I rarely um, use that silver. Really? Because yeah. I loved it. Um, yeah, so I was very heavy-handed with it, and it didn't do like white does. Like, if I put that much white in with it, it would have been at least one to two shades lighter. I did that with the silver, and it was a fraction di fractional difference, but it really, really gave it a lot of luminescence and and changed the aesthetic of the whole thing. So I mixed it in with every single color after that for all the candy that I did. And I even, I also, for the tree, I wanted to make it look like the light was refracting through a bunch of trees, which, of course, I did not print and did not exist in the, in the product. Um, so I took the lightest wash you had, and I don't remember the names of 99% of these, as um, soft tone, army okay. painter soft tone. Yes. So I took that and I watered it down a lot, and then I added a little bit of silver to that, and I dry brushed that over the entire tree and house and everything, and it in no way changed the colors of anything I'd already painted, but it gave it just enough so that when the light hit it, 
it made it kind of um, seem like moonlight was kind of hitting it and reflecting off of it more like a glow. Uh, and again, I was just kind of like winging it as I was sitting there by the hour going, what if I do this? This needs something. Let me try that and see what that does. You know, so that's kind of how I ended up there. Because um, I didn't know what I was doing and I was kind of figuring it out. Because I, I, I'm not good with coloring. Like, I never liked color as a kid. I don't like to color now. I can never... It's the commitment of the colors. Like, I, I never really like how it comes out, and I'm not good at visualizing how to layer that. So having monochromatic things and then having candy, which is like, it's that color. It's going to be red. It's, they're all primary. It's going to be red. It's going to be pink. It's going to be blue. Well, primary. Pink's not primary. But they're all the basic colors that come in a box of 12 crayons. Like, you aren't getting creative and having multiple shades of layering and all that, which I know is how you paint your stuff. I cannot visualize that. I don't know how to do it. I'm sure I can learn. But I couldn't learn in the two days I had to paint this thing. <laughs> That's a project for another day, another class. You know, so this was ways I was able to kind of like circumvent that and still make it look pretty good in, in the long run without a lot of extra effort, you know. Well, that so I noticed about that is like when you don't have a col color that you want. So like I start off with like a really dark purple. Mm -hmm. I've done this before. I'll add white to the purple in the tray. Sure. So what I noticed about the Vallejo Silver is that normally when I use the metallic colors, thinking Games Workshops, Lead Belcher, Army Painters Gun Metal, Army Painters Plate Metal, I rarely break out the Vallejo Silver. Um, the Vallejo Silver is such a bright content of, like, it is almost like they ground up silver coins. Yes. So it's almost white, the brightness that it gives. Yes. What I found is... Uh, seeing what happened when you mixed it into the paint mm -hmm. it didn't change the base nature of the paint it just added the reflective yes the reflective bits just took on the color of the paint they were mixed into you essentially made whatever you added yeah. to metallic. metallic and i thought <laughs> well i never experimented with it i thought about missing metallics but i figured it would change the color but no if you use vallejo silver that just makes whatever you're doing metallic Pretty so much. that That'd be better than going out and buying like 25 different colors of Turbo Dork right there. Yes. Well, and well, the other thing with that is, well, it doesn't color shift, though. I mean, like, you can't change the angle of it and yeah. have it go from purple to green and blue. Um, you know, where everything looks purple most of the time, and then and only if you stand yeah. at the side does it look blue. I saw that on cars and went, what is up with this? Um, but, yeah, so, you know, that, but... The other thing with that is, is if I didn't put enough of it in, it didn't get that metallic. So you can really control and dial in how metallic you want it to be. So I, because some I added more than others, mm -hmm. mostly because I'm just not that refined at my squeeze control in terms of how much I got. That'll do. Plus, you know, at 930 at night after doing it for a solid week, you're kind of just tired and want it done. Yeah. <laughs> How many more of these do I have to do? And so I should say the way you finish it off. Yes. So, because you painted in sub-assemblies. I did. Yeah. So there's the candy was painted separate from the tree in the gingerbread house. Right. And the way we sealed it is I just used Munitorum varnish on the tree. I gave that to you. Yeah. And you sprayed that on. And then what was the other thing that you sprayed on the candy? Okay. So... What I wanted to do with that, I wanted a matte Because I told finish. you the Mutatorum varnish on there. I like what it does to saturate the color. Yeah. But you came, something your teacher advised you for the candy. I don't remember what the name what was. What kind of I glaze? It from Lowe's. 
but it's it's a um it's a gloss. I think it's also a Krylon gloss finish. It says glaze on it, which I've never seen. Yeah, because oh, we use the mud. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was ordering it while I was taking class. It was. Oh, what did he say? Quick, let me add that to my cart <laughs> yeah. before I forget. So, well, that's the advantage of being in New Mexico. Is like when you prime or seal anything, put it out in the sun, like it just dries real quick. But I noticed when you sealed, you sprayed the glaze on yeah, there. Yeah, it took a little longer. Yeah. I was worried leaving it because we put it outside in the sun instead of sticking it in the garage like we usually do. So I was just terrified it was going to blow away because it was just little tiny yeah. pieces of plastic. Or it was going to blow sand on it and ruin my finish. Because that's the other problem with New Mexico and doing stuff outside. It's fine if you're if you just crack the garage door and let it vent out, you know. But if you actually put it outside, you got to check the winds that day or it could yeah. end up ruining your project. So I was like constantly staring out the sliding glass door going, is it okay? Is it still there? Because I've gone outside and found much heavier objects are no longer where I left them when I put them there. So, yeah, but it turned out okay because I wanted, I wanted the candy to really pop. So that's why I wanted to use a glossy finish on that. And then I wanted to put, I wanted a muted finish on the tree because I didn't want it to stand out. I mean, why would it, you know, look like it's a glazed tree? That just didn't make sense. And then I glued everything together after that. And I used, I used uh, some texture paints on the, on the base so that it looked like it had a little crackled walkway and the mud and then the rest of it almost looked like... You used sterling mud for like the regular stuff around the tree and the uh, agrellin earth for the pathway. I don't remember the names. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, show me a picture of what this does <laughs> online. Like, oh, I want that one. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause I thought that like the, the brown, the dark brown one I used around the base kind of looked like uncooked, um, uh, brownie batter. And then, cause you know, it's a candy theme. So you kind of want to stick with that. And then the crackled earth, uh, kind of looked just like, um, like, uh, like top of a, a blondie. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the interesting thing is when you finished off the silver with the munitorum varnish it was there but where this mixing the silver vallejo in with the paints really shine is when you glazed it because the candy especially the gumdrops mm-hmm. or the blue those look almost real yeah the blue <laughs> gumdrops with like you know you dry brush highlighted on I the silver and blue that's what i'm saying i just all i did was and, dry brush the i took the exact same color blue mixed the silver yeah dry brushed it that was it. Like, and I didn't do spray, anything fancy. Spray that glaze on there. That's, that glaze really yeah. picked up the silver and just made it really shine yeah. on there. So that that was, uh, the glaze is interesting. I don't know if I'll ever use it on any of my babies. Well, but, but there, it's a different application. Yeah. You're trying to do something different. Yeah. I normally don't do stuff high gloss. But like if you, you tried to make to do... me, you tried to ask on the Marvel guys, make them shiny like the comic Spider books. Spider-Man like... needs to be shiny. And I just like... He has sticky webs. Grimdark. <laughs> he has sticky webs. They must make him pop. Everything has to have corrosion and rust. No! <laughs> See, I'm the polar opposite. Everything needs to look shiny and new. Even our actual stuff in the house. Like, I still have the original boxes for my iPad and... You know, people think that I never, I actually bought them a new iPad. It's like, no, that's like three years old. <laughs> so I've got to go around with some sandpaper, get a distressed look there. Not on my iPad, you don't. <laughs> so do you have anything else planned that you're going to manufacture? I know you got to make stuff for class, but anything modeling related? Um, what do you mean by modeling? Well, so this is a wargaming podcast. Any other? Oh, little stuff. Yeah. Well, okay. So 
I said on the last time I was here, I would break out the resin printer. That's been an interesting challenge for me. Um, for some reason, the learning curve on that is much steeper for me than the FDM printer. I assembled that thing in four days, and the first thing I printed, printed. On the FDM. On the FDM printer, yeah, on the Prusa. No problems. I am still trying to get something to come out right on the resin printer, and that was after moving it from inside to outside and the smell. and oh, So I told you I would make you something for a Pepsi challenge and compare them both. Mm -hmm. Well, I did make it. I got it printed on the FDM printer, which makes no sense because it's super tiny and has little teeny, teeny parts. <laughs> has a one, one and a half millimeter spindle going up through the center of it. That printed. Still haven't gotten that to successfully print on the resin printer. And since I moved it out to the garage, it's too cold today for me to print it. I'd hope to have it for you and see if I could get it to print. Uh, I've been through two or three different slices on this and still have unsuccess. Everything keeps falling into the vat. So, or it embeds in the, in the support. Uh, it's too close to the base. So, yeah, I haven't gotten that to work yet. Um, but, but, yeah, so that, that was something I was modeling for you if you want to tell i went ahead yeah. and showed it to you because yeah, so i for didn't the, know if i was ever going to get the front of the risen so i've been making a lot of new york city terrain yes. for street wars nyc and i also have um, mad dogs with guns which is prohibition gang war mm -hmm. there um so one thing so you got the brownstones and got some of the buildings in new york but the thing you always see is clotheslines um, that run between the buildings outside the windows so people will do the laundry inside and they'll run clotheslines mm -hmm. across and put their laundry out there and said oh, it'd be interesting to have clotheslines and so you actually made you actually found an image of it and you made the little wheel so like the little bracket that sticks to the exterior of a building and a little wheel and the wheel actually moves uh -huh. so you can actually string them up between two buildings and run the little laundry lines yes. out there in miniature. But you, it's such a tiny and it's, the wheel actually spins on yep. it. And it's got a little groove and it mm -hmm. should not work on an FDM printer. Yeah, I got it, it to should, work. <laughs> but you can't print it off on a resin printer. I can't get that, yeah, which makes no sense. The one that got closest to printing because the, the little peg that the, the pin that the wheel spins on is so thin and the resin's uncured when I attempted to scrape it off the plate, it broke. Like, yet it did not print, it did not break off of the FDM printer for reasons I have yet to understand. I was able to like fit the wheel on and glue the both sides together. And that one worked just fine. So um, the resin printer and I are not, are not good friends. We're not currently on speaking terms. Um, no, I'm gonna give it another shot once it warms up, but I can't, I gotta wait till later in the week. I think it's supposed to be in the 60s. Because yeah, we got, the one that was advertised is non-toxic, yes. not stinky. It's still. I, I tried the soy-based, um, you know, uh, eco-friendly resin. Yeah, that still stunk to high heaven. And I still couldn't get it to print. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's like anything else. It's a learning curve. But I'm not, I'm not loving that. So, um, I have, I have a, a, a structural project. I'm supposed to design something functional infusion for my next project and then I've got some sort of artistic piece for my final project so I've been thinking of ways I can work or and my final project required the resin printer so I've been finding ways around that so one of the things I found which I will be hobbying once it arrives from Amazon is I found this oh gosh what's it called poly smooth 
resin, no, uh, not resin, polysmooth filament that you can run through an FDM printer and you can smooth with rubbing alcohol, isopropyl rubbing alcohol. So assuming you can find isopropyl rubbing alcohol during a pandemic, which we've had challenges with, um, I think, I think I'm going to give that a try and use that as a smoothing technique because the, the primary reason I like the resin printer is it was supposed to print really smooth prints. So I mostly, I mean, I didn't want it for terrain or big things like that. Mm -hmm. I only really wanted it so that I could sculpt things once I learned to use sculpting software, which I kind of, sort of have enough to make something I could print. Uh, still have a lot to learn though. And have it be smooth and like feel like a real object, like something that you would buy from a, a high-end company and have as a model. Like, that was my goal. You'd go to Shapeways, and, like, Shapeways sells, like, 3D-printed objects there. So you were trying to get, like, that You're high... Of... So, not no, there, there's a company called Shapeways. Yeah, I know. They used to get into fights with Games Workshop because oh. they made components that fit to their models. They're at, like, Nova Open. They have, like, a little booth there. So... Okay. But that that's a service that would do that. They'd make, like, this professional-grade yes. 3D-printed objects. Yeah, well, they'll print whatever you want. You can yeah. get it printed in metal. I was on their site earlier. That was the first where... That's where I started this morning. And slowly, I have YouTubed my way through to this. So... And there is a... There's actually a, a um, container that... Um, or, uh, the poly... Poly... Polysmooth is the filament. And the... Uh, Shoot, I'm blanking on the name. Um, there's a machine that you can use to, to actually spray it with isopropyl alcohol to smooth it all out. Uh, polisher, that's Probably. it. But it's spelled differently, like Polisher. Oh, okay. <laughs> P-O-L-Y-S-H-E-R. Like Polishore. <laughs> no, that's completely different. <laughs> and I really try hard not doing a biodome reference right now. <laughs> anyway, um, nonetheless, uh, so that that's kind of where I was at, at with that one. So I wanted to find, but it's 300 bucks on Amazon and it got some mixed reviews. So I'm trying to figure out how I can make my own version of this with a plastic box, a cool mist, uh, nano mister, not the hot ones because you don't really want heat with rubbing alcohol. <laughs> that feels like a mistake. Um, a plastic bin, uh, and then a turntable. <laughs> so after watching enough videos, I have an idea. So we'll see if my idea works once all the various pieces, which came to a fraction of the cost of the $300 thing. So before I invest in that, and it got some mixed reviews. I mean, it got good reviews, but then like people said, well, it has this issue or that issue. And then the other thing I noticed is like you have to, you can get it through Amazon or you have to find a retail for, retailer for it. Like you can't buy it directly from the company, which is kind of strange to me. And they make other 3D printers and stuff too. They don't just make this thing. Um, but, you know, I was like, okay, well, they haven't done an, a new iteration of it and it came out in 2017. So I was like, well, you know, it's been like four years and there's no new upgraded version there's no like you didn't address the issues that people said they had with it so i'm like okay i don't know if i really want to spend that much money for it. if it was around a hundred bucks i admit i probably would have shelled out the money and got it but not for three not without it being a big thing so um i found another company that has a fancy one but that's more for industrial purposes and like i couldn't even get a price on it so that, oh. that tells you where we're at with yeah, that yeah if you got a call yeah i've done that it's if like you a got microwave. a call 
<laughs> you gotta tell them what they want, and then they give you a price. I, I think you... it's yeah. Uh, you can buy that one on Amazon. I don't know where you could get it. <laughs> I just kind of stopped looking because I'm like, you know what? That's gonna be over a thousand bucks. I don't even need to know. I don't. Even, I, I can tell. So that's my next project is figuring out how I can do that <clears throat> with some with some of the clear version of their transparent version of their resin for my final project. So that'll be kind of something that I'm working on. So attempting to get the resin printer to print something successfully uh, and and dealing with that. I just, I'm not a fan of the mess of the resin. Like to me, it's just kind of a hassle and it requires all these extra steps. Like I like the fact that I can, you know, be in my pajamas at midnight and walk out, pull my 3D print off of my FDM printer and it's like, look, it's done. I don't need gloves. I don't need a mask. I don't have to rinse it. I don't have to cure it. I don't have to like deal with the mess of trying to deal with the resin. I don't have to work in a dark room because I'll accidentally expose the resin because it's photosensitive. It's like, wow, this is a project, you know. Um, not saying I wouldn't do it, but I'm now looking for alternatives because ultimately what I'd like to be able to do is sculpt miniatures and then um, make molds and, and cast them. Like that's ultimately what I would kind of like to have the skill set to do. So if I can find another way around that and use my FDM printer, I would rather do that, I think, than continue to fight with the resin yeah. printer. But we'll have to see. Just the mess of it. I'm I'm very a low-maintenance kind of person. Like, if it's too much work, I just won't use it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to get over that hurdle. I wasn't, wasn't particularly happy with it this morning. So that's kind of what, what I'll be working on. What about you? Let's see. What's your next uh, request for me? Uh, geez. Well, so seeing the issues some of the resin, it's like I was looking at what could I, what STL files are out there that they make. I, I'm kind of waiting for you to finish class before I put in any requests. I want to see what your resin printer could do. So I'm pretty much there. You know, I'm let's take it to the, <laughs> yeah, let's just stick with the FDM and the terrain. Um, I think it's looking more. So we have, the, we have the brownstones. Yep. And I've got the MCP terrain have like the bodega, and like the, yeah, that's the um like the daily bugle. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. just a little walk up. They're all the same except they have different window yeah. inserts. And then I have, have been thinking about how I can just change out the window inserts and the signs so you can buy that base model and just make them different you've, things. You've got like three of them. <laughs> I know that's why I want I don't I don't need two daily bugles and two snack shops or whatever the heck it was. The coffee one. Coffee shops, yeah. yeah. Daily grind, that's it. Yeah, that's um so it's thinking more of a construction site or like uh the retail spaces that you see in Manhattan. What do you mean by construction site? Like what well, would go just, into that for you? Well um so I was looking at what Corvus Terrain had on theirs. And so they have something of where, you know, so Marvel Crisis Protocol has the construction site set, and okay. it's just where, like, um, the trailer where everyone's office and it has some equipment out there, but they don't actually have the building that you're working on. So that would just be the skeleton of the building, so the concrete oh. pylons, the floors, and, like, um, so just a base skeleton so of the like, building. So, like, buildings from all the um, Looney Tunes cartoons. Yeah, the, they just go the running scaffolding. around. At least, at least the floor done floor. too. So right, it's like I mean, all those abandoned condos in uh, in Arlington when the uh, recession hit. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, because then, like, do you, are you talking about like vehicles with like 
um, cranes and... No, just, you... just the um, actual... Because um, with the set, I have some of the vehicles... With or without an elevator? I'd leave the elevator out of it, just... Uh... Do you want the elevator to work? <laughs> I just want to know what my... You got that is. wheel to work, so... Oh, uh, that would need a much heavier pin. <laughs> well, I was thinking... <laughs> no, my there's... millimeter pin ain't going to do it. Uh, or also some of the storefronts, like you saw from Radio Days, or... Uh... Captain America, everybody's in, uh, after he gets injected. Okay, well, and weren't, weren't all of those, didn't they all have, like, apartments above them? Yeah, but the, um, store, so brownstones are, like, townhomes. Right. Up there, okay. But there are also, the apartments have retail down the bottom, so the big mm-hmm. plate window, but then you have the apartments or office space so, like, above them. that. So, basically like, that with a different bottom layer. So, all I'd have to really do is, if I wanted to... Make it more versatile. All I have to do is redo the bottom of that. Yeah, make the bottom. So at the NYC Brownstone, right. keep the top Because they're floors. on three separate floors. So you just yeah. redo, you just take the same specs off of that. Yeah, I think there's less crenulations around the window, um, mm. if you like. Yes. But you're right. You could just keep this and just um, change the front. But for that, the for the store, I think you'd actually want it to be too wide. Because I think only having one wide would just be so narrow. Like, you really couldn't even Boys, put in the window. Uh, have you seen some of those stores when mm-hmm. you drive on, like, Fifth Ave? No. Which I did accidentally. <laughs> I've driven through Manhattan once, and I will never do that again. You didn't do it on purpose. It's, no. No. It's like well, you I know drove what? through Southeast it was part, D.C. It wasn't on going, purpose. Going through the Lincoln Tunnel was part of the plan. Um Getting trapped in Manhattan as long as I did was not part of the plan. <laughs> Were you looking for the for the candy cane forest? <laughs> so yeah, I went through the river of swirly, whirly gumdrops. <laughs> so anyone who knows an elf reference <laughs> with Will Ferrell. You have to explain it, James. Yeah. Um, but no, like, they have little stores that are just as wide okay. as the... And as, so the brownstones you have at 3DP. But yeah, I think too so, wide. We, mean, we could talk. Is that the size you like? Because, like... Because once I have the specs for the size, I mean, basically, you just create a shell frame, save that, and then you just change out the outside, change well, out the windows. Well, that, that's the thing. Is if you could make a storefront with uh-huh. just a door and the window would be a hole, kind of like the MCP, right. of where you could turn it into a butcher shop. Um, they have a lot okay. of uh, key places. Um, <laughs> Makes breaking it so much easier. Yeah. You've watched enough Law and Order. They're always in like a key shop, so they must have a huge problem with keys there, <laughs> uh, or also like shoe stores. A double wide would uh, be interesting too. I think it'd be too. better having a double. Well, their grocery stores are a little bit uh, bigger. Yeah. Okay. Every grocery store is a Trader Joe's size there. So that depends on the Trader Joe's. Is it freestanding or is it part of another complex? <laughs> because the Trader Joe's in Alexandria is a very different size yeah. than the one in Annapolis, which is a different size. Than the one in um, Albuquerque, and there are two in Albuquerque. Yeah, so I think the I'm trying to, to think. Of, so the brownstones are pretty much good throughout the whole five boroughs, mm-hmm. but I was looking try to get some stuff that was more retail and apartment apartment me that you'd see in Hell's Kitchen, like the Lower West Side. I need a picture. That means absolutely uh, nothing to me. Well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> well, that's fine. All right. But if you could only pick one, would you pick the construction site or would you pick the retail? Probably the construction site because I have so it's much different. stuff from MCP that's already themed that way. So you I have like traffic cones and stuff too, or 
Yeah, traffic cones. Since we got the barrier, we've got the um, yeah, concrete, concrete barriers. Yeah, you got the concrete barriers. They don't have traffic cones. You want the cone-shaped ones or the ones that look like barrels flipped upside down? Uh, like trash cans flipped upside cone, down with a reflector The cone-shaped ones, because if I want to take it anywhere from the seven, the 60s on up to okay. present day, the cone ones are the more prevalent design okay. that you see there. But, the ones we use for recess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and gym. If you want to put out, yeah. <laughs> Driving school. You want to battle over a driving school? <laughs> That's what my trash cans are for. That's how I practice parallel parking yeah. in front of my parents' house. Make sure they're empty first. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Okay. <laughs> all right. We degraded this into something it shouldn't be. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for joining us today at Miniature Wargaming Labs, and we'll see you next time.